Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. All hit radio. Welcome to the X Zone. A place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And good evening, one and all, and welcome back to the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. And it's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, Simul Radio, and Simul TV. Now, if you'd like to check out the broadcast schedule for the Exxon Broadcast Network and the other great shows we have available for you 24-7-365 with our compliments, just go to www.xzbn.net. And as we get closer to Christmas, as we do traditionally here at Rolmar McConnell Media Company, our sister station, CBR-TV, has put up a Christmas website just for children of all ages, I might add, where you can send an email to Santa Claus. And I know for a fact he answers each email because I've got 12 grandchildren and they each got a letter from Santa Claus. If you only knew how much it's going to cost him, he would cry like I did. Um, Then we have, let me see, coloring books to download, Christmas coloring books. We have Christmas sing-along songbooks. And uh, this is my favorite part, a downloadable edition of a Charles Dickens A Christmas Carol. Now that's all with our compliments and uh, the good people at CBRTV. Just go to www.cbrtv.net. My guest this hour is a gentleman we've had on the show before. His name is Dakota uh, Franzen, and he is a paranormal investigator based in southern Idaho with almost 400 years of ancestral history with the supernatural. Having started his operation at the age of 14, Dakota has taken on everything from spirits, demons, UFOs, Sasquatch, and even made an appearance on the National Geographic's Drain the Oceans for an episode on the Loch Ness Monster. By the way, I saw that episode and I loved it. 
The chaos of 2020 led uh, Dakota to address an increase in demonic cases. And I don't know if he's talking about the political arena there or not. We'll ask him (laughs) that during the show. And um, including one which may reveal the true identity of the infamous shadow person known as the Hat Man. His expertise in the unknown came from an encounter with the Archangel Michael that brought him back from the dead and introduced him to a little girl that may be his daughter from the future. Joining me now is Dakota Franson. And uh, Dakota, welcome back to the Exxon. Great talking to you, sir. Hey, thanks for having me back, my friend. You're a busy man. Uh, but let me ask you, uh, the demons that you were talking about, increased demons, uh, is, does that have anything to do with the political uh, events going down in the United States? Uh, no, I firmly believe it actually has <laughs> to do with stresses because of COVID-19, everybody being locked down at home, oh, gosh, noticing yeah. a bit more activity in the unfortunately domestic violence situations now now the 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 negativity that is being caused is that caused by the shutdown is it caused by uh, the people we people not knowing what's going on the lack of the authorities to put a handle on this uh, crazy uh, virus Uh, what do you you know how do you rate it it would be hard to limit it down to a single cause i see it's just a Kevorkian cocktail, for lack of a better word. Hmm. So how can people best deal with this negativity? Well, the ideal way is to confront whatever situations may be leading up and triggering Mm -hmm. the paranormal activity. Sometimes it can be... uh, Couples getting divorced, and like I said, unfortunately, there's a situation where it's dis- domestic mm-hmm. violence situations, and because of lockdowns, the victims can't necessarily get away. Right. It has a lot to do with one's own mental health. And uh, I know here in Ontario, today is the highest number of COVID cases recorded. And that's how one, yesterday was 1,426, today it's 1,575, and the new modeling that the Ministry of Health has come out with today in Ontario shows that we can expect up to an average of, this is what I loved, up to an average of, and I'm reading it right from their press release, 6,500 new cases of COVID-19 a day by the middle of December. And do you know, uh, and do you know what? They're not locking stuff down. Like, yeah. I don't know. This is, uh, that's not really surprising. I honestly expected that numbers would start spiking once, you know, it started getting colder, closer yeah. to the winter time, things like that. But even the World Health Organization is trying to say do not lock down because even though these cases will continue to rise, the mental aspect, the mental aspect, yeah. the economic crashes that'll likely happen because mm-hmm. nobody's able to get anywhere. Do you think the governments are feeling responsible because they knew this was going to happen and they basically had no plan of attack? Well, I would hope there would be some sort of guilt because mm-hmm. th- there was a lack of action. Yeah. You know, there's On one hand, being that this was a brand new virus, nobody knew how this was going to react at the beginning. Right. It's understandable where they don't want to cause mass panic, but... In retrospect, yeah, 
it's pretty obvious that this was way underhandled. Well, listen, I, I've got to tell you, it's great having you on the show, and I just wanted to get your perspective on, on what was going on, and I, I thank you for that. But just before we went on air, you were telling me about a you or, or two UFO sightings that you had above your house this very week. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. Can you share it with us? Yeah, sure. Um, I do know that uh, National UFO Reporting System is behind by a few months on their reports and mm -hmm. i sent it in literally the second i got home so that way it was at least fresh in memory but what was happening is that it was about 7 30 in the morning my time i was just barely getting off of work turning onto my road getting ready to just park in my house and all of a sudden i see these two lights in the distance that just seem to be hovering there mm -hmm. i was like okay what's going on curiosity got the better of me and I go to start driving down the road. I, I only get to be about a mile down from my house. And all of a sudden I start to see that these lights had black triangles on the inside of them. How big were they? They were a pretty good size. Uh, they would look uh, about as size of a standard small aircraft. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to find a good spot to park and try to get pictures of it but before i was able to do that they disappeared on me and the one thing that disappointed me the worst is that just parked just under where the craft were hovering mm -hmm. was actually a police cruiser and the, i was able to track down the officer and he swears he saw nothing why why is it that there can be multiple people in the area of a ufo sighting and yet not many people actually observe the craft. Any ideas no, on that? In my experience, it's just been a matter of, uh, well, it was, like I said, 7.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Everybody's rushing, trying to get to work. Right. They could simply just be distracted by their own activities where mm -hmm. I was just coming off of work myself and happened to catch it in the distance just Really, it's just a matter that hardly anybody's actually looking up anymore. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Everybody's looking down at their at their electronic gadget that they're, they're carrying in their hands. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So what do you think it was? What do you think these two objects were? Do you think that they may have been uh, terrestrial, or do you think that they were extraterrestrial? I wouldn't want to place any bets on what they may be. Mm -hmm. I tried to get as close as I could to see if maybe they were somebody just flying drones in the area. Yeah. But being that our military has come out and said that they've modeled a few craft after supposed UFO sightings, and we do have a lot of Air Force bases around here. I see. I'm not ruling it out that it's terrestrial, that it's man-made, but yeah. being that it is 2020, I'm not ruling anything <laughs> out. Listen, let me ask you something. Why do you think that... UFOs at night have lights on them, or, you know, they're easy to see. If the UFOs did not want to be identified or even spotted, would they not be able to cloak their lighting devices? Well, if the uh, theories out there about anti-gravity technology being mm -hmm. responsible for their propulsion... right. The light may actually be something they can't really control. 
is merely like a side effect of their propulsion systems. So something like the afterburner on a jet. Yeah. Gotcha. How did you get started in, in your investigation to the paranormal at the age of 14? I mean, I understand there's 400 years of ancestral um, knowledge and participation in the, uh, in the paranormal, but at the age of 14, what was it that catapulted you into doing what you're doing today? A lifetime experiences that I was too stubborn to listen to skeptics try to tell me that I was either making things up or seeing things that weren't there. What was your first recall of a paranormal experience that you can share with us? The At, first incident mm -hmm. that uh, got my attention, I'll be honest, stuff like this, psychic phenomena, has actually been going on for most of my life. The uh, ancestral part, I didn't actually didn't know until later in life. Okay. But the first experience that I had that kind of shifted in my mindset to where okay, everybody's seen this, okay, to where, okay, this was something strange. I was actually at the old Idaho State Penitentiary for a school field trip. I was about nine years old at the time. Mm -hmm. We were on a tour of the prison grounds, and we go past death row, and at the time, they actually had the noose up in the area. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you can see where this is going. I actually... As my group started to walk away, I noticed what looks like a man mm -hmm. walking and having that rope put around his neck. Now, at the time, I honestly thought ghosts were just made-up stories. I'll be honest, I was a bit of a prankster at the time. I was using the rumors of a haunting to scare my classmates, so <laughs> that's what did me in. Nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually saw what the man start, what looked like the ground underneath him open up mm -hmm. and the man starts shaking like he was hanging himself. And at the time I thought I was watching somebody getting hurt and I would start screaming, help, help. Somebody's in there. Somebody's in there. Somebody's hanging. Of course, by the time everybody else finally shows up, the, the guy disappeared. Hmm. So what did you discover about the guy who was hanging? Was there a story that you were able to to establish that, you know, what you were seeing did actually happen at that location or was part of an event that happened? Actually, yes. I uh, Thanks to the show Ghost Adventures, they, uh, for their very first season, they did an episode there. Mm -hmm. And during the time there, they actually recorded a shadow apparition in the same area with its neck area looking like it was squeezed down by something. And it was through that they started showing pictures of the last major execution of a gentleman named Raymond Snowden. Right. Who, instead of his neck breaking while being hung like it was supposed to, he yeah. just hung there, choked, suffocating to death. It wasn't until they showed his picture that I was like, that's him. All right, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our first break. Exonation, our guest this hour is a gentleman we've had the pleasure of having on before. His name is Dakota Franzen. And if you'd like to find out more about Dakota, visit his website at www.dakotafranzen.com. And that's www.dakotafranzen.com. And uh, Dakota and I will be back on the other side of this uh, commercial break here in the Exxon. And once again, if you'd like to uh, send me an email... 
Love getting them, pro, con, or indifferent, whether you're a skeptic or you're a believer. Exxon at ExxonRadioTV.com. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. That's uh, my buddies, Glass Tiger, with their rendition of My Town. www.xzbn.net is the website for the Exxon Radio TV broadcast network. And if you'd like to um, get a hold of our Christmas website and have your little ones send an email to Santa Claus, go to www.cbrtv.net. Dakota Franson is our guest this hour, and uh, before we went away to the commercial break, you were telling us about this uh, this apparition that you saw as a young gentleman on a school trip in a prison that was um, that was featured in the in a television uh, series. How did that make you feel? Did you feel that you were vindicated at that time? At the time, yes. The experience of. My own mother was a chaperone on the trip, and mm-hmm. like I said, because I was a prankster at the time, no yeah. one absolutely believed me. But by the time that episode aired, all that would, could come out of my mouth is, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Hmm. So here you are, young man, you saw this apparition, and... What was what was it was it that apparition that unknowing what you saw that that you know that pointed you in the direction of being a paranormal investigator yourself? It was the I'd say that it would be the first sign down the road mm-hmm. that uh, led me down to the path I am today. Now. Do you actually go out and do paranormal investigations yourself? That I do. Okay. And in your opinion, what is a ghost? What is there a difference between a ghost and a spirit? Or are they one and the same? Or does it depend on the person who's experiencing the event as to whether or not they perceive it as a ghost or a, or a spirit? The distinction I've always used is that a... Uh... The only difference between the ghost and the spirit is that the spirit still has a body to return to, where a ghost may not. Okay, uh, now, a ghost may have a body to return to. How can a ghost have a body to return to when the entity is dead? So is does this, so are you saying that a ghost has the ability to shed its ghostly body? I'm talking in regards to near-death experiences, astral projection, things like that. Spirits would be the one who still have a body to go to, whereas a ghost, they're not tied down as much, so to speak. All right, but this is on the spiritual side of it. 
How much does a person's belief, uh, religious philosophical beliefs, play in a paranormal experience? It can really alter their perception of things, mm-hmm. how they interpret, how certain things are. There's, of course, you still get the, you know, for lack of a better word, nut jobs who think that every odd little thing is a sign of something demonic. Right. But there's also been times where people experience what's going on and they even start to doubt their religion because, to the best of their recollection, there was nothing to describe what they saw. So let's say you get a call from somebody in your neck of the woods in southern uh, Idaho, and they say, Dakota, something strange is happening here in my house. And you do a preliminary intake investigation. You decide that this is worthwhile going to investigate. How do you proceed with your investigation once you're at the location? Depending on the circumstances, I would invite the client along mm-hmm. if it seemed like it was a situation that seemed to be focused on a certain individual in the house. Right. But otherwise, I will let the family or the business owner, whatever the case may be, you know, let me stay the night. I would try to focus my attention on the areas that seem to be the most active, try to put myself in a person's shoes as best as I can to see Mm -hmm. what could cause them to perceive that event as possibly paranormal instead of just assuming that we're dealing with some dead person. Okay, now, what's the difference between a paranormal event and just dealing with some dead person? Well, in dealing with the paranormal event, it's, technically speaking, a paranormal event without some sort of outside catalyst would only happen 1% of 1% of 1% of the time. So very, very, very rare. Yes, and it's under the assumption that if you go through all the usual theories of Mm -hmm. Toxic molds, you know, stressors, yeah. maybe even a person's drug use, uh, hopefully prescription, but that hasn't always been the case. Mm-hmm. Things like that, to where if you can take everything into consideration and can't exactly rule it out, then it's likely paranormal. Maybe somebody who was attached to the place at some point is still sticking around. All right, so so in your opinion, there are, for a lack of better words, logical, unknown reasons why this event is happening. Now, you as a seasoned paranormal investigator identify what the problem is. Um, how do you go about solving the problem? Can you give us separate different, different examples of, for example, if it's a, a, a poltergeist, if it's a haunting like we see on TV, or if it is something demonic, how would you how would you deal with these three different scenarios? Or would you deal with these three scenarios in the same way? All three scenarios start with identifying possible triggers. Okay. When it comes to poltergeist, in my experience, the term I often use is post-traumatic psychosomatic manifestations. Or for people who get a little tongue-tied saying that, carry syndrome. 
Because oftentimes, in my experience, if a poltergeist or even sometimes demonic activity is taking mm -hmm. place, there's usually someone in the house, usually female, that is under a lot of mental duress and somehow she is expressing possible latent telekinetic abilities. All right, and if my memory serves me correct, uh, Dr. Hans Holzer uh, labeled this person as an agent. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. So how do you, once you establish, let's keep with the poltergeist here for a second or two. Once you establish that the poltergeist is caused by the agent, how do you, how do you solve the problem? It would require a one-on-one -on -one interview to allow the agents mm -hmm. to discuss what's been going on. Establish, the main thing to do is establish a pattern, see if what in particular happens to be going on before the activity starts, what seems to trigger it. I would imagine that once you establish that it's the agent, then it goes from being a paranormal event to a, uh, to a not a psychosomatic, but a, a, a PSI, right? Psychokinesis. Yeah, it can very well end up being that case. Gotcha. But there's also been incidents where I go to review the tapes later mm -hmm. and I find out that there, there are EVPs that indicate there is actually a loved one of the person warn them about the situation, trying to help them about deal with whatever's going on and just getting frustrated because they're not getting through. Do you find this is often the case where a paranormal activity uh, or somebody who's the target of a paranormal activity is, is being protected in one manner by a loved one who's already on the other side? That actually has been happening quite a bit lately, yes. Really, eh? Now, would this person or, or this relative or this guardian angel, would they be able to interfere and react in a positive manner against any negativity that the paranormal event is being targeted to the agent? Sometimes, yes, but it's, like I said, it goes yeah. back to mental duress and BSI ability that the agent may, in fact, be blocking whatever positive help may be trying to, to come in and take care of the problem. So let me ask you something, Chris. You're, you're a nice guy. I've had the pleasure of talking to you uh, many times about the paranormal. How do you protect yourself from bringing something negative home with you after you complete a paranormal investigation where the negative forces were at play? Well, there was, there is a bit of a sigil I use that you can find on my website, and I also attach it to a lot of videos I post online mm -hmm. where the topic of negative paranormal experiences comes up because for some reason, some people seem to psych themselves out so much after hearing certain stories of mine that they start experiencing their own activity. Now, the activity, the activity that they experience, is it real or is it as a result of or an unconscious result of hearing your story? I've only 
say like out of 13 cases mm-hmm. that came up where it seemed to be directly correlated with hearing one of my stories, right? only one of them actually seemed to be connected to a legitimate haunting. Only one of them was related to a legitimate haunting. Yeah. Does the person, when they listen to the story, do they let their guard down? And is this how they can become a target for paranormal activity? From what I've seen, some of the stories I've told to people, mm-hmm. the shock value alone brings their guard down, yeah. and that's what can make them a target. During your investigations that you've been doing recently and the reports that I imagine you get from all over the United States and Canada, are you seeing a, a demographic that women are being targeted more or men are being targeted more, that a certain age group is being targeted, elders are being uh, targeted, or is it right across the spectrum? Lately, it's becoming more and more across the spectrum. Wow. Prior to lately, what was your, what was your observ- uh, observation of the demographics? It would mostly be women who would reach out. Mm-hmm. The men would tend to be a bit more stubborn about admitting that there's something wrong. They're trying to act big uh, and tough. Yeah, the ego syndrome, right? Yeah. <laughs> Their ego really gets in the yeah. way, and I've seen it to where they end up regretting that decision. Yeah, well, uh, my wife reminds me of that all the time, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. You should have listened to me in the first place. Yes, dear. I told you this was going to happen. Yes, dear. Now will you listen to me? No, dear. <laughs> That's when my paranormal experiences start. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, Dakota, we've got to take our break at the bottom of the hour for the news. And explanation, if you'd like to find out more about this fine gentleman, visit his website, www.dakotafranson.com. www.dakotafranson.com. Dot com. And this is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network. And, of course, we're on all the major audio platforms throughout the entire Internet. Now, if you'd like to uh, watch the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV, you just have to go to www.simultv.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Stay out of trouble. Don't get possessed. We'll speak to you shortly.
And welcome back to the Exxon. Randy Backman from Backman Turner Overdrive with You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Mm. When it comes to ghost haunting and things that go bump in the night over the past 31 years of doing this show, we've talked to many, many people. And still, I don't believe we're any closer to understanding what the paranormal is. Um, what is your take on where we are in fully understanding or even trying to comprehend what the paranormal is, Dakota? Well, it's, uh, I do firmly believe that some findings within the last few years in the mainstream scientific community are helping bridge that gap a little bit closer. Can you share what those, uh, findings are with us? Sure. One, uh, one in particular that I find to be an interesting example, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a finding, it's a new me- new sort of memory disk. They call them 5D data disks. Okay. And essentially, they're uh, little memory devices made of quartz, roughly the size of a coin mm-hmm. that uh, can host like thousands and thousands more gigabytes of data than most storage devices nowadays. I think uh, the numbers they showed that if you were to put nothing but like Blu-ray movies on there, it could easily be a library of 300,000 movies at the very least and still have room. Oh God, don't tell my wife that. (laughs) So how does does this help understanding the paranormal? Essentially, the way these devices, these discs work is mm-hmm. just bending light in a certain way that allows for more storage. They're not actually five-dimensional, but the way they alter the information that's brought into them mm-hmm. makes it so a lot more can fit into a smaller space. And the connection I often use is when you deal with the topics of multiple dimensions and alternate timelines. Mm-hmm. All that really says, if you strip down to the bare basics, is that there could be a thousand different things sitting right in front of you, but because the light doesn't hit just right, you won't be able to tell they're there. So are you saying that this uh, this quartz, um, what can we call it, device, for lack of better words, actually is a, actually is a tool in seeing different spectrums that we are unable to see otherwise? I'm saying it could potentially be a metaphor for the bigger picture. Ah, okay. All right. Hmm. Now, let's go back a little bit. You were on uh, National Geographic's Drain the Oceans uh, in an episode of the Loch Ness Monster. Are we any closer to understanding what the Loch Ness Monster is? Now, I must tell you, I love National Geographic. I thoroughly enjoy that show, Drain the Oceans. They do a fantastic job on that. So what did you guys discover, or what was your conclusion at the end of the episode? That Nessie is most likely a really big fish. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so does that 
put aside the, what was it, a pleasor that they believed it was from that just because the lock is so deep and it has an abundance of, of fish that the, uh, that the creature could actually live off of. Is this where this theory has gone? Is that it's not a, it's not a dinosaur of some type, but actually a fish? And will we be looking at a giant carp or a giant uh, sturgeon? Like the uh, episode on Journey Oceans said, the uh, the main problem with that theory is that the geological timelines, as far as when they believe that pleosaurs were mainly in the Earth, and by the time Loch right. Ness was formed, there's a few million years difference there. It doesn't exactly rule out the possibility of a dinosaur somehow still lurking in the water, but... Mm-hmm. The most likely scenario is that it's some form of giant eel. A giant eel. Uh, I there was a there was an event that took place years ago, and I can't remember what it was called. When they had a number of ships with uh, sonar go through the entire lock, and uh, if my memory serves me correct, they actually came to no findings of any large uh, mass that that was considered to be a target for the Loch Ness Monster. Would a would a an eel or a fish of the size that we imagine this creature to be, would it have shown up on this uh, on this um, sonar expedition? For older equipment, no, but there was an article that came out not too long ago, a few mm-hmm. months ago, I believe. That showed an actual sonar blip of what they estimated to be a 32-foot-long animal. Wow. Yeah. Was there only one animal targeted? Those expeditions often go. It could very well be. That could just be the one animal that messed up and got caught. I see. Basically. Because when I was over there... I swore I saw at least five different shapes moving in the water that looked like they could be possible Nessie targets. Tell me what it was like for you being right there at Loch Ness looking for Nessie. It was a bit of a dream come true, to be honest with you. Right. I've always been interested in weird animals, things like that. And so when some friends of mine said they were putting together a trip where one of our last stops would actually have been on Loch Ness, I said, sign me up now. I imagine. Once again, the the million-dollar question, are we any closer to positively identifying Nessie? I think we are. Do you think that Nessie is related to the other lake monsters? Um, for example, Ogopogo, Champ in Lake Champlain, Memphrey in Lake Memphremagog in Quebec. Uh, there's another, you know, it seems that every one of these large masses of water, including Lake Erie that uh, our studios are on the shore of, there's uh, Erie Pogo, I believe is the name of the, the, um, the lake monster that resides here. And uh, a friend of mine who passed away recently, who was well known throughout the the UFO community, Dirk Vanderplug, had a cottage on Lake Erie, and he had a webcam that would, you know, that was fixed on the lake where the most recent sighting of 
Gary Pogo was, and it was streamed 24 hours a day. Why, why, do these, why do these serpents, why do these monsters, why do these creatures only show up once in a while? That would be hard to explain because, you know, you hear stories all the time of people who spend years and years mm-hmm. on these bodies of water. And right. Maybe they'll get lucky once. But that's just the nature of trying to track down any animal, really. Yeah. But I guess that once gives them a lifetime of, of enthusiasm. It gives them vindication. And it also gives them the desire to want to share the information and to prove to others that what they saw actually does exist. I can speak from personal experience that that's the case. Really? Going through North America, plenty of monsters. We've got the skunk ape in Florida. We have uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch throughout the uh, northern Pacific coast. Once again, how... What's your take on Bigfoot, and especially the the Patterson-Gimlin film? I do believe that there is some sort, there is legitimacy that there is some sort of giant ape out there, but some of the more exotic theories mm-hmm. of Sasquatch being the inspiration for Chewbacca, basically Star Wars. Yeah, I have a hard time believing just because I have yet to see anything credible in that regard i'm not ruling it out just because you never truly know yeah but i do believe there is something out there i i find it a little funny that with all the groups that are in the different forests throughout canada and the united states looking for bigfoot as well as all the technology that is available to us now that bigfoot hasn't been identified or proof positive that bigfoot exists has not been presented uh, you know, you know, if we can, if we can see the dial of a person's watch from a satellite orbiting the Earth, why can't we use the satellite technology and the different modes that satellites go in to gather information and, for once and for all, to say, well, you know what, we had a satellite over Bluff Creek, and there was an anomaly that we detected, and upon further investigation, it was, it appeared to be a bipedal creature. Man, I'm telling you, that would certainly open a lot of eyes and also weed out a lot of skeptics. Everybody's got a a camera in their cell phone. And yet, according to statistics, pictures of UFOs are down ever since the advent of the cell phone, the high-definition cameras, as well as other aspects of the paranormal that used to be plentiful in a variety of photographs. Any idea why what that is? As technology is getting better, the people who would spend all their time faking all these images mm-hmm. have less to work with. That's where I believe that comes into play. And as far as your example of uh, why haven't we been able to use our satellite imagery or why is footage of these things so scarce, mm-hmm. I be- that is where a lot of people try to propose the idea that they're somehow moving through dimensions and being that mainstream science says that if higher dimensions do exist, we 
cannot process them. We would have a hard time detecting anything moving there. They're trying to figure out how to solve that one, but nevertheless, a lot of the theories out there when it comes to proposals of higher dimensions, I honestly have to say people are trying to sound smarter than they actually are. (laughs) (laughs) To be completely honest. And even though uh, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, whatever you want to call it, it does show its behavior does seem to show that it has pretty high intelligence. So it could very well, even though it's supposed to be seven feet tall or higher Mm -hmm. in stature, it could have easily figured out some way to get around. Maybe some of the ideas that cave systems are, it's a main source of habit habitat when it's not out and about that could very well explain it. But like I said, there's a lot more work to be done. Sounds like they're smarter than we are. You have to wonder about some people these days. Yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Uh, and of course, my favorite TV show of all time was Harry and the An- Han- uh, Harry and the Andersons, or the Hendersons. I'm sorry, Harry and the Hendersons. Do you remember that show where Harry was a Bigfoot? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I remember watching it. I love that movie. All right, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. And Dexo Nation, if you'd like more information on our guest this hour, or maybe you'd like to contact him because you've had experiences that that have you wondering. And because Dakota has so many years under his belt, maybe he can help you answer some questions. Visit his website at www.dakotafranson.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this Mm, short commercial break as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Now I think I Welcome back. Another great Canadian group, Blue Rodeo, with Somebody Waits, right here on the X-Zone Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Now, speaking about music, if you like Christmas music, and if you're at home or at the office, or maybe you're running uh, on your little jaunts that you take exercising yourself, and you listen to music, well, you can always go to www.cbrtv and listen to the Christmas music. That is played 724-365. And, of course, that's the same site where people can send emails to Santa Claus. They can download books. They can download coloring books. And they can download Christmas carols as well. That's at www.cbrtv.com. 
cbrtv.net. Our guest this hour is Dakota Franzen, and his website is dakotafranzen.com. Um, let's talk a few a few minutes about the Tic Tac video from the um, carrier group in the Pacific. What is your take on that? On oh, It's the Nimitz uh, incident. I don't believe I caught that one. That's where the fighters' uh, gun camera picked up some UFO that uh, the Pentagon uh, later released a statement saying that this was actually an unknown object that was caught by um, aircraft. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. Now it's completely. I think it's going to end up being the first step in a grand reveal that conspiracy theorists are supposed to say are saying that it's supposed to take place in about five years time. Okay. What's the reveal? That the extraterrestrials are coming, that they've been among us all this time. There's FBI archive files that anybody can access to without having to get any special permissions or anything like that, that state that, government has been investigating things things for a long time they pretty much determined that the extraterrestrials the crafts are in fact not from this earth they're coming from parallel realities and that these crafts they're these beings they're not coming here to cause any problems but if we were to try to start any wars with them we will surely lose but what happens if we started wars between ourselves? Here, I'll give you a hypothetical situation. North Korea and the United States get to the point where North Korea pushes the button, launching an ICBM headed for the United States. This would ultimately this would, would trigger a nuclear holocaust on this planet. Do you think that at the time of launch of a nuclear weapon that in all probability will cause nuclear annihilation, do you think that these visitors, whether they're from another planet or from another dimension, would step in? It is quite possible. If uh, One of the main theories is out there is that if these beings are, in fact, coming here to check out all of our nuclear facilities, all these nuclear weapons, and which would explain the increased reports whenever events like that do take place... They're trying to monitor it because if an atomic level were split in the atom there, what are the chances they're not getting repercussions wherever they're coming from? And they're trying to basically avoid the damage reaching them. There's also another theory out there that these visitors are actually time travelers and that they're from our future. What is your take on that theory? It could very well be possible. The way that these crafts, a lot of the proposals out there about how their propulsion systems work, mm -hmm. essentially cause the craft to act like a particle of light in which, if done carefully enough, they mm -hmm. could time travel, go through alternate realities with ease. Okay. Is, but I have a problem here trying to wrap my head around all these different theories because we're using, we're using physics and science and mathematics in our world. 
Is it possible that we're using the wrong formulas, that we're looking for the wrong thing when trying to identify whatever these, or whoever these travelers are? One of the, it's very well possible that we could either be looking at the wrong thing or our concepts of it have yet to reach the appropriate level. Neil mm -hmm. deGrasse Tyson, I remember there's a video that he talks about where uh, an example he gives that the smartest chimpanzees here on Earth have about the same mental capacity as the average human five-year-old. Okay. So it, he's... It, civilizations, whatever you want to call them, are in fact more advanced than us. Who's to say that their toddlers aren't regular Isaac Newtons, for example? Okay, here's another, here's another hypothetical situation. Tomorrow, we get news that some scientist has proven Einstein's math all wrong. What happens to the science as we know it as it applies to the investigation of UFOs and other aspects of the paranormal? It would throw everything upside down. Yeah. You know, I remember having Seth Shostak on the show a number of years ago. And we were discussing SETI. And we were discussing, you know, how there are different arrays are looking at different systems, listening for signals and my question to seth was how do we know we're listening to the right frequency how do we know that we're even listening to the right the right or we're looking for the right sound with the wrong equipment for example we're carbon-based units on this planet that's the only type of existence that we know when it comes to humans or, or you know is is carbon-based but what happens if on a different planet in a different galaxy, the inhabitants are, well, let's see, uh, uh, let's take another, uh, whoa, uh, oh my gosh, I had, the, I had the name of the element on my tongue a second ago. Let's say, let's use zinc, for example, all right? If they are of a different makeup and they use a different form of communication that has nothing to do with our technology because our technology is is based on carbon-based technology you know we just wouldn't be able to communicate we wouldn't be able to listen and they wouldn't be able to hear because it's we're both are missing the boat so to speak yeah that's very true that's uh Unfortunately, what a lot of yeah. people don't seem to realize is that a lot of mainstream science operates with a lot of assumptions. Okay, if this is true, this might happen, basically. Right. Essentially, the assumption when it comes to extraterrestrial life, we're looking for a species somewhere out there who evolved almost exactly like us, even though we have so many different life forms here on our own planet mm -hmm. that evolve under various different circumstances that should you would think that alone should be proof enough that basing it off of how our civilization evolved may not be the best idea if anything we're trying to look through a peephole when it comes right 
at a major movie screen. By the way, the element I was looking for is silicon. Yes. Uh, so where do we go from here? Do we need to all come to this big table and put the pieces of the puzzle that we all have and start working together to continue the puzzle, which is the basis of the formula and the format of how we're conducting our scientific investigations? Or do we need to scrap everything and say, all right, guys, this uh, the way we're doing it right now hasn't gotten us anywhere. We need to sit down, rethink, reevaluate, and redo an investigative procedure that would actually bring us some results. What do we do in your opinion? It needs to be a bit of both of your suggestions. We need to, first off, a lot of the problem is that the way the extraterrestrial being is uh, being viewed as, the first person who finds it is going to be the first one who gets the claim to territory. That's been the approach that's going to do us in no matter what when it comes to truly fi finding out what's going on and maybe even fixing some of the problems we have in the world today. Right. But we also do need to be open to more ideas and finding some way to where we can get sustainable results to expand our horizons on what we need to look for. What is your take on the Roswell incident of 1947? The Roswell incident could very well be a, one of a few incidents where the government's finally got what they needed to look for in order to know how to watch for these things. It could very well be real. The stuff that was acquired could be reverse engineered to advances to levels beyond our imagination. And it's very well possible that if the accusations of actual bodies being found at the site are legitimate, mm -hmm. it could validate that okay, maybe these guys are also carbon-based life, but that also goes back to the point, if they are truly advanced, who's to say they haven't figured out something else that could go to both ends of an infinite expanding universe within half a second? Here's my final hypothesis for you because we are, we're running out of time very fast here. If hackers around the world have the ability to hack into... They've hacked into the Pentagon. They've hacked into government sites. They've hacked into utility companies, hospitals. Now these hackers are holding companies, corporations, and industry hostage when it comes to data breaches. If they're able to do this, how come no one has broken into the data bank that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt and extracted material Put it on the web, plastered it all over the side, all over this, all over the sites, and said, "Look, your government's been lying to you for so many years. Here's the proof." How come that hasn't been done yet? If the rumors are true, from mm -hmm. some of my contacts who are retired special forces, um, even retired FBI, CIA members, the methods they use to keep those hackers quiet aren't exactly legal most legal form they often do is basically force them into taking a job within the government agency mm -hmm. to protect their to protect their own life 
Okay, okay, I can understand that if the hacker is in the United States. But if Russia wanted to topple the United States government, or if China or Korea wanted to topple the United States government, all they'd have to do is hack into a data bank, find the stuff on UFOs, make it public, and that would prove that the U.S. government has been lying to its people starting at 1947 and beyond. It would topple the government. How come this hasn't been done yet? It could very well be that, like I said, there's actually a lot of information on actual UFO findings from the government saying that, yes, the stuff is real, already out there in public on the FBI archive website. All right. Hey, listen, I hate to do this. I was just getting uh, into a good uh, conversation with you. We have to say so long for now, my friend. Take care of yourself and Exonation. If you'd like to find out more about our guest this hour, Dakota Franzen, visit his website, www.dakotafranzen.com. Dot com, And we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour, right here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Don't go away. <laughs> 